0: Right, let's talk about another aspect of the Holy Spirit's function before we go to topic number 6. Turn first to Luke chapter 7 and after that we will go to John chapter 14. Luke chapter 7, verse 28. Luke chapter 7, verse 28. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. So Jesus is saying that at that moment when he was speaking, so probably around 2,000 years ago, Jesus is saying, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. That means John the Baptist, in his opinion, was the greatest prophet Okay, but then he continues to say, but but, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So the least is referring to us nowadays because Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Everywhere he went, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. And later on he said the kingdom of God is within you. Then Romans 14, 17 says, The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, you and I are in the kingdom of God. Yes? The kingdom of God is in us. Yes or no? Yes. Yes. So, it's referring to us. Why are we greater than John the Baptist? Now, I'm not saying it's greater in rank. What we are talking about here is greater in terms of privilege. Greater in terms of? our relationship with God, greater in terms of the privileges we enjoy, okay? Well, it's because John the Baptist, everyone before Jesus died on the cross were not born again. But now we are born again. Amen. See, Jesus said when they were talking about the temple of Solomon, all of you are here because you honor and you respect this temple. But Jesus says, greater than the temple is me. He said, all of the stones in this temple will be destroyed. But I will die, and on the third day, I will raise myself up. So Jesus made himself greater than the temple, right? Now, let me ask this question. Which is greater, the temple of Solomon or you? Us. Now, it doesn't mean we don't, we don't respect the temple of Solomon, where, where it is located right now. And if it should be built in the future, yes, we still walk in honor and respect But in terms of identity, in terms of nature, we are greater, right? So that's a privilege we have. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, God lives in us. We are the temple of God. And that could not be enjoyed in the Old Covenant. Because the Holy Spirit was not in the hearts of men. The Holy Spirit came upon them for specific assignments. And the anointing would also lift off. Alright, turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, that means to represent me. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is your teacher. That's His role, His function He plays in your life. Write it down. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. Teacher. So, many different functions. Teacher. That means our ability to understand the Word. Our ability to apply the Word in our lives. Our ability to teach the Word. All comes from the Holy Spirit. Even right now, when I am teaching, and it's making sense in your heart, and in your spirit, there's a resounding agreement. How many of you, when I'm teaching, in your heart, you have peace? You're like, yes, this is the word. That's the teacher inside you. The teacher is agreeing to the word that is being preached. The teacher is saying an amen in your spirit. And the teacher is bringing you understanding. Amen. So, the Holy Spirit is your teacher. Now, when people say, oh, we don't want any of the Holy Spirit stuff, you know, we are not charismatics. We are denominational church. What they're actually saying is that denying the role of the teacher in their lives. Now, the Holy Spirit is so humble that even when people will not accept Him openly, completely, yet He is the one teaching them even through the sermons that they are listening to, no matter how much revelation, light, or wisdom is in that word. That means even in Catholic churches, if there is a genuine teaching of the word of God, people can be saved. Now, in my opinion, the practice of Catholicism is not biblical. The way they practice it. But yet, when they teach the word there, and people just believe in Christ, people can be saved. That means the Holy Spirit can work in whatever atmosphere, whatever circumstances there, as long as people are willing to open their hearts, even just a little bit, to the Word of God. Amen. Look at John chapter 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. Okay. So, He's the one who teaches us. What does He teach us? He teaches us the reality of God. How does He teach us? That's an important question. Right now in classroom, how am I teaching you? I'm teaching you in a lecture style. I'm speaking words. The words are coming to you. Audibly, you are hearing it. You are looking at me. And that's the way we are learning. But how does the Holy Spirit teach? If you don't know that, You may be expecting the Holy Spirit to teach you the same way I'm teaching you. Thereby not honoring or recognizing how the Holy Spirit is teaching you in your heart. Amen. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. To grow in the Spirit, we must understand the spiritual economy. The kingdom of God. The wavelengths of the Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit teach us? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. How does the Holy Spirit teach? The Holy Spirit teaches By bringing wisdom and revelation and understanding where? Inside you. In your inner man. In your inner being. It's not through your mind. Amen. So how does this teaching happen? It's happening even right now. For example, I'm sharing with you information. Right now I'm just speaking information. But as you are receiving it by faith in your heart, and you're believing it, over time, it will become revelation to you. Okay, let me show you practically how Paul describes this. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? So, these are the things that Paul says happens on the pulpit. When I come to you as an apostle or any preacher, I speak to you either by revelation. That means something that the Lord has revealed. The word revelation means a hidden thing that is made light, that is revealed. Hidden doesn't mean that it is not existing. It's just not revealed to us yet. Okay? By knowledge Knowledge is just Bible knowledge that you have. You study the Bible properly, you will have knowledge of different books, different characters, all right? By prophesying or by teaching, okay? So the word teaching also means instruction of doctrine. So how the Holy Spirit teaches us is actually more simple than we thought. And at the same time, deeper than we thought okay so more simple is this simply reading the bible is where it begins you start reading the bible and gaining bible knowledge so there needs to be knowledge built up in your heart and mind a lot of christians say this holy spirit teach me give me revelation but they never open the bible so they're not giving the holy spirit anything to work with because Word and the Spirit work together, right? So, when you read the Bible and you memorize scriptures and you gain knowledge from Genesis to Revelations as you're reading the Bible, what are you doing? You're storing up knowledge inside you, right? You're storing up knowledge. It's like you're filing, like in your computer, different files of different, different information. That's what you are doing. So when you go to a seminar and you get a certain teaching, let's say of faith, healing, inner healing, whatever, you're getting a teaching, you're storing it. You go to Bible study, you're getting a teaching, you're storing it. What are you doing? You're storing it here. Okay. So that's the initial place where it begins. That is essential. Because without that, the revelation will not come. What is revelation? Revelation is uh, another word for inspiration. Inspiration, that means suddenly, oh, I get it. Now it makes sense. Have you had that experience? Yeah. So that happens after the foundation of information and teaching is established. Okay? So, first, information, doctrine, teaching that you have been established in. And over time, and sometimes it happens immediately, sometimes, depending on your heart, how the Holy Spirit works in you. As you are hearing the teaching, you can get a revelation. Okay, sometimes people who have been taught the word for so long still walk without power in their lives. They walk without victory. They walk without blessings. Yes or no? Why? Because the connection between the information and the life of faith is revelation. Information must turn to revelation before it can bring transformation in your life. Write this down. You guys are just staring at me. I'm telling you such important truths. Information that turns to revelation will bring transformation in your life. A lot of Christians only have information. That's it. They have no revelation. And that's why they have no transformation. Their finances are not transformed. Their minds are not transformed. Their relationships are not transformed. They have information. They can quote the Bible. They can win the Bible quiz. But then their life is not different than the people of the world. They're still suffering with the same weakness, the same addictions, the same strongholds. Just like the people of the world. Why? Because it requires revelation for the word of God to become power in your life. Changing your circumstances. Now... How do we go from information to revelation? There is no formula. But there are some things that we need to do. Number one, meditation on the Word. Number two, praying the Word over our lives. These two things are absolutely important to engage the ministry of the Holy Spirit as our teacher. He will teach you As you also, remember what we saw? He's a helper, right? He does not come to do for us. He comes to take hold together with us. The word helper means take hold together. If you invite your friends to your house and say, can you come and help me move my furniture? So all your friends come. So because your friends came, you are there in your living room watching TV. And you're telling your friends, please, please shift it. And your friends are going to do the work. Question. Did your friends come to help or did your friends come to do the work? To help, right? But if you are sitting in, in front of a couch and you're watching the TV and your friends are doing the work, they're not helping. They're doing the work. To help means to do together. So the Holy Spirit will do together with you only what you are willing to do. So the work that we must apply is a work of faith, which is to meditate the Bible, to pray in tongues over the Scriptures. That's when the revelation comes. And revelation is what will catapult your life into transformation, into power. Revelation is a work of the Spirit. Revelation is something the Holy Spirit alone can reveal to you. Like I was sharing my testimony to you about how I was so timid. I was filled with such low self-esteem. But when I was reading that book, The Bondage Breaker by Neil T. Anderson, I came to the revelation. Wow! In my heart. I'm a child of God. I'm valuable. I'm precious. I'm bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that destroyed inferiority complex, self-doubt, insecurity for my life. Why? Revelation brought power. Some of you, What you are praying from God is not how He's going to respond. You didn't understand what I said, right? Some of you are praying for things that God's not going to give you. And yet, because you don't know how the kingdom of God operates, you keep on begging for those same things. Is it better to teach a man how to fish or to give him a fish? Teach a man to fish. So is it better to show you how to exercise your faith for finances or to give you a miracle of finance? Huh? To teach. The children of Israel, listen to me. When they were in the wilderness, they had manna every day, right? They get up in the morning, there's manna. They had meat every evening. The birds would come, yes? But they were in the wilderness. Was the wilderness the promised land? No. The Bible says that the moment they entered the promised land. And when they were in the promised land. The miracle stopped. The manna stopped. The birds stopped coming. Because now God wanted them to learn. To walk by faith taking a responsibility of the inheritance every Israelite was getting and exercising their faith, their stewardship to use the resources and God would bless the resources and bless them so much that they would have over and above and live in a land of milk and honey. Do you know the manna stopped the moment they entered the blessing land, the promised land? See, do you understand what I'm saying? Many of us only want miracles every day. Do you know that the miracle is not the perfect will of God for you? Every day experiencing a miracle, miracle, miracle. You know what that means? It means that every day you'll have a crisis. How many of you want crisis every day? Why was there a miracle that was done by Jesus? To make food multiply? Why? Why did Jesus do it? Just to show off? Huh? Why? Why? Because there was no food. And they were in the wilderness. What is that? That's a crisis. Did Jesus multiply bread and fish every day? Just to show off? Just to play with the gifts of God upon his life? No. He was using it just when it was needed. Right? Did they find gold in the mouth of fish, every fish? No, only when they needed to pay the temple tax. You see, many of you are just praying for things which God actually wants to give you. But he wants to give you through your process of growing. He wants you to learn to exercise your faith for finances by giving, by sowing. Rather than just believing for a finance that will just come. It does come, yes. But I'll tell you this, when you have a revelation of finances, you have a revelation of healing, you have a revelation of prosperity, you have a revelation of grace, then you will be using it as part of your daily life. And then you will begin to live in the blessing of God rather than in the miracles of God. Israelites, for 40 years, were living in the miracles of God. Was that the best God had for them? No. The best God had for them is in the promised land where they were to live in the blessing. Now, that takes revelation. So, some of you are praying for things. Things. You're praying for things. 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 God wants to give you revelation, but you don't want revelation. You want things. You don't understand that the things will come when you have the revelation. Bujanai. You didn't get it. Did you get it? Yes. Always spirit first before physical. Always the spiritual first before the material. Many of you want material blessings, but you don't have the spiritual truth. You don't have the revelation in the spirit. A lot of times in the past, I was to talk to some of my church members and say, how are you doing? How are you doing? And almost all of them will say, I'm waiting for breakthrough, praying for breakthrough, waiting for breakthrough. And something in my spirit was not agreeing with them because I sense that they are not getting the truth. They are not understanding the truth because for them, breakthrough means suddenly the money comes, suddenly the job comes, suddenly the husband comes. That's breakthrough. So we're always looking for breakthrough physically, materially, externally. They were never looking for a breakthrough in their heart. A breakthrough of what? Revelation. Do you know that God has already given you breakthrough on the cross? It's called the finished work of Jesus. Jesus said, it is finished. I have done everything for your salvation. For your well-being, for your peace, for your shalom. Now your part is to, what? Is to believe, right? Your part is to believe. Where does believing happen? In the heart. What does it mean? It means breakthrough first here. See, you don't have to convince God to do for you. You need to convince yourself that God is already willing to do. Amen. And that is called revelation. So what you are really needing from God is not things, not breakthrough. You need revelation. Because the moment revelation comes, breakthrough comes. How was this building built? Through the revelation of Father God. God is a Father. He's a loving Father. He's a graceful Father. He's a gracious Father. That revelation in the heart Caused faith to explode. And all these things were added unto us. Many believers are praying for the explosion before the revelation in their heart. So what you really need to pray for is revelation. That's how the Holy Spirit teaches us. Amen. That's why you need that revelation. How do I get that revelation? Pray in tongues. we well, the first Corinthians chapter 2. I have to keep on stressing these truths because I have to establish this in your life and we can't go to the topics unless we actually establish this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Okay, so Paul here is talking about a wisdom. A wisdom that is hidden in God. A wisdom that you cannot find in any university, any government in the world. Okay. Did you get it? It's not the wisdom of this world. It's a wisdom from God. Amen. Verse 7, he says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. In a mystery. Paul is saying, we speak. So he's actually speaking. Now, of course, he's referring this to the gospel. And the gospel was revealed to Paul, right? Okay. All right. Look at verse 8 and 9 which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. For it is written, the eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. Underline that. God reveals to us through his Spirit. What does he reveal to us? Can you tell me? Wisdom. The mystery that is hidden from the people of this world. God reveals them to us. How? Through His Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is also the divine revelator. The one who reveals divine secrets. Divine truths. The one who reveals the things of God. Amen. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. How many of you are born again? Can I see your hands? How many of you have the Holy Spirit? Yes. He is from God. Right? That, the purpose, listen. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. God wants you to know. What he has given to you. Many Christians don't know what God has given. The riches of your inheritance. That's what Paul says. Riches, not just rich. God wants you to know that you may know. How do you know? Through the Holy Spirit, who will share with you the things of God. That's how he's teaching. How does He teach? He teaches insight here. He gives you understanding. He gives you revelation. He gives you insight, discernment here. Amen. So you have to yield to the Spirit and allow the Spirit to lead you, not your mind, not your feelings, not your logic, but the Holy Spirit. Now, that takes time. It takes training. And you have to allow that to happen in your life. Prayer is essential for that. Meditating on the Word of God is essential for that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 2, what does it say? He who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak unto men but unto God. Right? For no one understands him. However... In the spirit he speaks? Ah, what does he speak? Mysteries. Well, the same word mystery is here in verse 7. It's the same word. So when you're praying in tongues, what do you pray? Come on. Sister, pray in tongues? How do you pray in tongues? Don't feel shy, it's okay. Just close your eyes and just pretend no one is here. Pray in tongues. Okay. Did you see that? What is that? Huh? Mystery. Don't just say, oh, she's just speaking gibberish. Right? Theologians say. Oh, they're speaking gibberish. Titi toto people, right? No, it's a mystery. Speaking divine mysteries. Mysteries of what? God. So what are the mysteries of God that in verse 7 it says? The wisdom of God in a mystery. What is this? All right. Listen to me, everyone. Look up here. What is this? Wisdom. Wisdom of God. Right? It's wisdom. Now, of course, it's not yet revealed to us, but we are speaking. From the Spirit, man, you are by faith speaking. You are engaging the Holy Spirit. And by doing this, what you are doing is you are speaking the wisdom of God in the mystery. And as you speak more in tongues, the Holy Spirit will show you, teach you. I read the testimony of a preacher who was a truck driver. So eight hours a day, he drives trucks. So he decided, I have so much time. I will just buy tapes and I will listen to sermons for eight hours. So he will just listen to sermons and pray in tongues. Listen to sermons, pray in tongues. Listen to sermons, pray in tongues. That's the best Bible school. Eight hours of teaching a day. That's what he's doing. And he was very poor, always in debt, but as he's listening to the messages on faith, and as he's praying in tongues, suddenly he gets a vision. And it's a vision of faith. How faith operates. And then the moment he got the revelation, he decided to practice it by sowing in faith. And that was the beginning, he says, of his debts being destroyed from his life and walking in the blessings of God. He was a Christian for many years. He was speaking in tongues. Do you know that you can be speaking in tongues and still be very poor? Yeah. Just because you speak in tongues is not going to make you rich. You can be very poor. So you have to use the tongue for the right purpose. It's not just to pray in tongues. It's to be engaging with the Holy Spirit through the Word of God so that it turns into revelation. And God gives you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge and understanding of Him and His ways. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That's how the Holy Spirit teaches. Wow! Light! That means there are times when you can be listening to the same subject for years and you still don't get it. And then one day, bang, you got it. And the moment that light comes, you enter PhD level. That's how the Holy Spirit teaches. It's not like a classroom. One year, class A. Two year, class B. Two year, class 1. It's not like that. The Holy Spirit doesn't teach us like the school system. It's not the same for everyone either. It's through a personal relationship with Him. So some of us can be in class A our whole life. Yes. Amen. So you have to engage with your teacher. Submit to your teacher. Listen to your teacher. And you will pass the tests that God has for you. Amen. Hallelujah. So the Holy Spirit is a divine teacher. Alright. The twofold work of the Holy Spirit. Topic number six. The Holy Spirit... Concerning believers' work is twofold: the work he does in you and the work he does through you. So the works are the inward works and the outward works. Underline that, the inward and the outward. They are works that the Holy Spirit does in you and the works He does through you. Both are different. In charismatic churches, sometimes the emphasis is more on which part, huh? Outward, come on, cast out demons, come on, heal the sick, come on, fire, fall, fire, fall. Wow, we enjoy that, right? But what about the inward work? The inward work where you need to stop gossiping, backbiting. <laughs> That's why people can go to prayer house, pray the whole day, come back, and fight with their husbands, <laughs> or fight with their wives, or be corrupt. So, God is so gracious that even when He is moving through you outwardly, you are not being changed inwardly also. Remember Saul? Saul was a king. Outwardly, He's a king, right? But inwardly, He was disobedient. Amen? So, both are important. Let's look at the inward works. When we receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. He joins himself to our spirit. Okay? We all know that. And then, the Holy Spirit in us is like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John chapter 4. You know the story? Samaritan woman. Jesus said, give me water to drink. The woman said, are you a Jew and you're asking water from a Samaritan? What did Jesus say? They have a conversation. And then Jesus says, the water that I will give to you, if you will take it, you will never thirst again. Talking about salvation. Because it will come in you. Turn to John chapter 4. Come. 14. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. Will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him. Everyone say, in him. Underline that. In him. A fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So that's the new creation life. That's the salvation life. That's the salvation experience. How many of you can remember that the moment you accepted Jesus, suddenly there was peace in your heart? Remember that? That's the well. That well of salvation in you. That's the work of God in you. That's the inward work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Did you get that? The outward work is this. The second part of His works occur when it comes on us. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. When? Upon or in? Upon, right? Upon you. So it's on you. This happens when we ask God to fill us and baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Alright? So, this is what happened in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. All these things happened. The Holy Spirit came upon them. In Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius and the household. Alright? So, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we get power. Everyone say power. Power to witness for Jesus Christ. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, write this down. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, there are certain works He does through us. He makes us a witness. How? Through healing, through delivering, gifts of the Spirit, and so on. Preaching. These are called the outward works. Outward. Write it down. You can see it in your notes, the blank, right? You just fill in the blanks. Okay? So when He comes in us, there's nothing we actively do to receive Him. He automatically comes in you the moment you accepted Jesus. Yes or no? The moment you believe, did the Holy Spirit come? Yes or no? Yes, right? And when He comes, He ministers to us. Okay? But when the Holy Spirit comes upon us He is ministering through us. Did you get it? The Holy Spirit is in you in you to minister to you. He is upon you To minister through you. Did you get it? So He's in you to do certain works in your hearts to transform you. What are those inward works? Let's look at it quickly. Conviction. Conviction. John chapter 16 verse 8 to 11. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin, because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father, and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So the role of the Holy Spirit in the inward work for unbelievers is to bring conviction in the heart for sin. Convict us of sin. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36-37, you see an example of this. Turn to Acts chapter 2, 36-37. Are you there? Let's read together, 1 through 3. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Oh, that is called conviction. It's like a knife to the heart. But all of these people were believers or unbelievers? Unbelievers. They were hearing the gospel for the first time. Now, the second part, convict of righteousness. There are three things we see in John chapter 16, right? It's very important to understand. This is part of the message of grace also. Okay? Convict the world of sin. Convict of righteousness. And convict of judgment. But for whom? Is this for all people all the time? Sin is for unbelievers. Right? Now let's read here. Righteousness. And when he has come, John chapter 16, verse 8, he will convict the world of sin. The world. The world. Are you part of the world or are you a believer? So that's not you, right? Right? And of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, John chapter 16 verse 8 to 11. Of sin, are you there? Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Who are the people who do not believe in Jesus? Unbelievers, the world, right? So the conviction of sin is for the world of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So, you is referring to the disciples, the believers, of righteousness. So righteousness is for whom? Believers. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts you that you are righteous in Christ. And He convicts you of doing the right things. Many times, people think the Holy Spirit only convicts of sin. Convicts of sin. No. For the believer, the Holy Spirit convicts you that you are righteous. Can you say Amen? Hallelujah. What about judgment? Judgment refers to the ruler of this world who is judged. So, Jesus, through his sufferings, death, and resurrection, condemned and overthrew Satan, right? So, the judgment refers to Satan. So, the Holy Spirit will let you know that Satan has already been judged. Because the ruler of this world is judged. Is judged. Amen. So that's the inward work of the Holy Spirit. So, if all the time you're experiencing guilt, 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 condemnation, even for sins that you did not know, sins that you have not even committed, and yet you feel guilty, remember the story of Martin Luther. I said he used to feel guilty all the time that he would go and confess his sins to the priests, even for sins he had not committed. Has anyone ever done that here? I know some of you have. Yes or no? See, just because we have this sense of guilt and this unworthiness and this fear that some evil may come upon us, we just confess any sin that even we haven't done also. Yes or no? That is not from God. If all the time you have guilt in your heart, that is not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There is something called godly sorrow, which means... I should not have done that. Father, I come to you. That's godly sorrow. But when Judas betrayed Jesus and he realized that he had betrayed Jesus, what did he do? Committed suicide. Is that godly sorrow? No. That's the oppression of the devil. That is not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Godly sorrow... The conviction of the Spirit will always draw us to a higher place in God. So guilt, depression, condemnation, fear is not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Adoption. The Holy Spirit works in us to bear witness that we are children of God. So that is the inward work of the Holy Spirit in us. Next is justification. Point C. The Holy Spirit works in us to justify us before God. And our spirit is completely justified. To declare guiltless. And this is what you are sensing in your heart. How many of you believe you're justified? How many of you in your heart you feel clean before God? Shameless before God. Right? You can stand before God without guilt and shame. Yes or no? That's the work of the spirit in you. Point number D. Regeneration. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. I want you to turn there. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So, that's the inward work of the Holy Spirit. He will regenerate you from within. What does the word regeneration mean? It means to create anew, to restore. All of you have experienced this and are experiencing it even right now. There are two parts to this. Number one, giving of spiritual life. It is twofold. The giving of spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. And number two, the giving of a new nature. The giving of a new nature. Have you all eaten a banana? What is inside banana? Huh? Life, right? You eat it, you get energy. But not only does banana have life, banana also has a nature, right? Is banana soft or hard? Crunchy or soft? So it has nature. So when the Holy Spirit comes in you, you have a new nature, but you also have life. They're the same. Banana is the same, right? The life is in the banana, right? in the nature in the same way the nature of god carries the life of god in you that's the regeneration of the holy spirit are you with me amen that means we are made alive in christ and that work of regeneration will turn this it will make you stop swearing how many of you used to swear a lot before f word b word all the time and when you got born again it just left yes that's the regeneration of the spirit How many of you used to drink, and then after you got born again, you lost the desire to drink? That's the regeneration of the Spirit. What about smoking? And you lost the desire, right? See, the dead things, the bad things, they fall off when the root begins to change, all right? So that's the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, which is working inside you. Point number E, sanctification. 1 Corinthians 6.11, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. So, the Holy Spirit sanctifies you. What's the definition of sanctification? It means to be separated to God and live a life corresponding to that separation. When I got born again, I noticed one thing. I did not enjoy listening to rock and roll anymore. Heavy metal. I used to listen to a lot of heavy metal. And I used to listen to pop music. And I used to like to go to my friend's house and party and dance. But after I got born again, I realized I found it so silly to dance to those beats. I was like, why do people do these things? And listening to all those pop music, rock music... It felt like it's empty. It's, there's nothing there. There's no life. It's emptiness. It's vanity. How did this understanding come? The Holy Spirit came into my heart and He separated me from the world. Amen. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Now this is one of the signs that you are born again. If this has not happened to you, you need to get born again. Some of you are like, after born again, Pastor, I just want to drink more. After I got born again, I want to listen to secular music more. Some Christians are like that. They've given into the deception that, hey, because of grace, God loves us. It's okay. We can hang out with the world. We can be friends with the world. And they're now more in the world than before they were born again. Jesus was not in the world to become like the world or to tell the world, it's okay. No, Jesus was in the world to transform the world, right? Jesus hung out with the sinners not to tell them, hey, it's okay to be a sinner, God loves you. No, to transform them. So when he went to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus changed. Many Christians today are saying, like Jesus, we hang out with all the world, world, worldly people and they turn up like the worldly people. Gen Z Christians. Amen. The regeneration work of the Spirit, sanctification, is to turn our hearts away from evil ways, evil thoughts, and evil desires. God wants you to live a holy life. And it begins where? Here. And then in your actions. Alright? It's God's will for every Christian to live a holy life. Do you believe? Yes. Yes. There are two stages of sanctification. Understand. Number one. You're already sanctified. Say this with me. I am already sanctified. Already, sanctified. already sanctified. Write it down in your notes. Already sanctified in Christ. Which means it has begun. Number two. It is progressive. Progressive means it is continuing. Continuing. That means the renewing of your mind, the disciplining of your body is part of the sanctification process. In your spirit, man, you're already sanctified. You're holy, you're pure, you're righteous. You cannot be more righteous or more pure than what you are today. Amen. But your mind and your body is a problem. Your flesh. So that is where the Holy Spirit goes to work. The areas of pride, the areas of self. Okay? That's progressive sanctification. And it's important to believe in it and to ask the Holy Spirit to help you become more and more holy, to transform you. Okay? All right. So, that is the inward work of the Holy Spirit in you. Now, go to point number six. I'm sorry, point number four on this note, on this subject, topic. The outward works. When He comes upon us, He brings the power for service and gifts and the uses for the work in the ministry. Ephesians 5, 18 says, Be filled with the Spirit. So that's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are two Greek words for to fill. Pleru, it means to take possession of. Pimplemi, terror says, what wholly takes possession of the mind is said to fill it our mind is part of our soul so god wants your mind to be fully possessed by the holy spirit so another translation for ephesians 5 18 would be be controlled by the spirit okay what to be filled with the spirit means it is more than receiving the holy spirit during as in our salvation experience It is more than receiving the power for ministry with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit taking possession of our spirit and control of our soul, our mind, our emotions, and our will, and bringing them into the place of obedience and conformity to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit must be allowed control of our soul so that it can agree with our human spirit over our body, so that our spirit man can be in full control of the person. The spirit man is fully submitted to the Holy Spirit living within. That is when your life is fully controlled by God. When your spirit man yields to the Holy Spirit, and your mind and your feelings yield to your spirit. That's why being filled with the Holy Spirit is important for that. Okay? The anointing. In the Old Testament days, it was customary in hot climates to anoint the body with oil to protect it from excessive perspiration. When mixed with perfume, the oil imparted a refreshing and invigorating sensation. Athletes also anointed their bodies before running a race. This equipped their body for action. Oil in the Bible is a symbolic word for the Holy Spirit. So... God anoints us with the Holy Spirit so that we can engage more freely and powerfully in His service and run the way that He directs us. The anointing is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The anointing upon our life comes by the Holy Spirit who works in our lives. Now, every Christian has the anointing in Him. The Bible says we are anointed in Christ, right? There's an anointing that abides in you. First John chapter 2, 20 and 27. The Bible says there's an anointing that abides in you. However, the anointing can come in a greater way. Anointing can increase, like Elijah and Elisha's case. Anointing can be transferred. Jesus anointed his disciples, who went two by two, preaching the gospel. In different cities. Casting out demons and so on. Amen. Acts chapter 10 verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So the word anointing always refers to the work of the Holy Spirit. Upon you and through you. In Isaiah 61 verse 1, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now, it's through a prophecy of Isaiah, but it's the word of the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. That is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 when he stands in the synagogue and says, God has anointed me to preach to the poor. So, anointing is spiritual empowerment. The anointing is spiritual empowerment to enable you. To serve the Lord. To enable you to function in the calling of God. To anoint you for special tasks. Look at Luke chapter 4. Come, let's all turn there. Are you there? Verse 17 and 18. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61. Alright. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me for what? To fall down and cry and laugh and enjoy? No, that happens, but that's only a side benefit. Anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So the anointing is given for the purpose of accomplishing certain tasks. Where? To preach, to preach the gospel to the poor. You can take it literally. You can take it metaphorically. Okay. Poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall see God. Who are the poor in spirit? Okay. Those who hungry for more, they are also poor in spirit. But those who don't know Christ also are poor in spirit. Yes or no? Yes. Is Ambani poor? Yes, he's poor in spirit. Amen. But it takes a recognition that you are poor in spirit so that you can see God. That repentance is important. Alright? So, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, you can also take this literally because even the poor need the gospel preached to them because it gives them the faith, the hope to come out of their poverty. Okay? All right. So, the anointing. God placed the Holy Spirit upon Jesus to accomplish certain tasks. In the same way, we are given the anointing For the same purpose. It operates through us the same way. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 21 to 22 says. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ. And has anointed us. Is God. Who also has sealed us. And given us the spirit in our hearts. As a guarantee. So the Holy Spirit. Is sent to anoint us. So that we can do the same works as. Jesus. Our part is to yield. To the Holy Spirit, to His guidance, His control, to His love, so that He can flow out of us, outward work of the Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah.
1: If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do it so the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9 eight that God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time give, kindly write to us. At faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.fateharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 7005684533 at PayTM. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.